Welcome to Real Decarbonization, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry will lead into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the CEO of Adam and Teen Energy. I hope your 2023 has gone off to a great start. It's my pleasure to bring you our second of the year um, mini pod that accompanies my new book, Real Decarbonization, How Oil and Gas Companies Are Seizing the Low Carbon Future. Today, I speak with Chad Zamarin. I enjoyed interviewing him for the book and we built upon that dialogue today. He serves as Senior VP of Corporate Strategic Development at Williams. Chad received a BS in Metallurgical Engineering from Purdue and an MBA from the University of Houston. He served in executive roles also at NYSource, Midstream, and Chenier. You can learn more about Chad in our show notes. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation that I had with Chad Zamarin. Chad Zamarin, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Great to be here. So as you know, real decarbonization is all about translating aspiration into action. And I have been following in the last couple of years, Williams activities with interest, because you really are making exciting progress on a couple places that are really important to this effort. One is next generation gas, and one is hydrogen commercialization. Can you talk a little bit about the work you're doing in that area and what what has uh, inspired you to focus in those two areas? Yeah, sure. Yeah. What I love about, frankly, this industry and and our company here at Williams is that we touch so many critical parts of the energy ecosystem. And it's really exciting to be able to put the pieces together. I mean, it is a very complex world that we live in. Energy is critical to the quality of life that we enjoy, you know, here at home and, and that others need more access to around the world. And we've got such a great platform for putting the pieces together to not only provide that energy here and now, but for the, you know, the needs of the future. And, you know, when we talk about next generation gas, that's really about how we continue to further provide access to clean, affordable, reliable, natural gas supplies, but we do it in an increasingly lower carbon way. You know, that is the dual challenge that we have as a world. How do we continue to meet the growing energy needs around the world while at the same time do that in a in a way that reduces carbon emissions. And so, you know, I'm really excited about what we can do as an industry and as a company and you know, in next generation gas, we are investing in technologies that will further decarbonize the natural gas value chain. You know, I say this a lot. I mean, we we don't need to end this industry to create a new industry. That would be like replacing all of the, you know, the roads on the highways for electric vehicles. I mean, we need to leverage our natural gas infrastructure. It is a, an incredible national treasure, but we also recognize we need to further decarbonize that infrastructure. And, and, and we think we've got a great opportunity to do that. So we've been making investments in sensor technologies, in uh, our ability to track with satellites. Uh, we've been investing in artificial intelligence, and uh, other software technologies that can actually track the paths across which energy flows across our entire country. We can find the lowest carbon and drive for lower and lower carbon emissions, pass through our infrastructure, connect the cleanest supplies of natural gas to those demand 
users that need them and want the cleanest energy possible. And we can do that with a high degree of reliability. That's what we've been working on in Next Generation Gas. And we've announced several transactions where we're demonstrating we're actually doing it. We're connecting low carbon production through a low emissions infrastructure path and delivering it to utilities and end users and demonstrating that the natural gas value chain can be a huge part of the solution of driving down emissions over the long term. Uh, And then with hydrogen, I think we've got no better chance to scale up hydrogen than through the use of natural gas infrastructure. I mean, I'll give you an example of a project that we're working on in Wyoming. We've got a pipeline that connects Wyoming to the Pacific Northwest. You know, there's a tremendous wind resource in Wyoming. Wind power generation is something that we've been trying to develop in Wyoming, but it's so far away from where we need the energy that it's hard to build electric transmission infrastructure to get to the Pacific Northwest, California, uh, to the East Coast. It would be impossible. We have pipelines that connect from Wyoming to all across the country, to New York City and to California and the Pacific Northwest. If we could produce hydrogen through wind power generation in Wyoming and move it to places like the Pacific Northwest, and think about this, our Northwest pipeline moves three BCF a day from Wyoming to the Pacific Northwest. If we put just a 10% blend in Northwest Pipeline, just 10%, that would be, we we could have 1.2 gigawatts of electrolysis in Wyoming. That would be more than the hydrogen production that exists currently across the entire world. That's the opportunity we have to scale up hydrogen. And that would that, that can deliver to over you know, 10 million homes in the United States. And so I think we've really got a, an incredible opportunity. So those are the kind of projects that we're working on, on developing across our system. Just a couple of examples. Well, Chad, you really highlighted why I wanted to talk to you about this, because you're painting a picture. Here's the picture I'm, I'm hearing. You tell me if I've got it right. As I understand it, Williams moves most a, a big portion of the natural gas in the U.S. around the country. And you're get, painting us a picture, one, where we can really know with transparency and certainty what our emissions profile looks like and then ratchet any emissions down and then use that same network, which is going to have to be proven to be tight. and uh, It's going to have to be a trusted system to then move first hydrogen blending and then maybe other net zero gases around reusing, repurposing infrastructure, and also using the know-how of our industry. These are the things that really accelerate decarbonization. And it's such a important reason why the oil and gas industry needs to be at these tables. Do you think I have that right? Or anything you think I'm missing about, about the, the the picture I think you painted? No, I think you got it exactly right. I mean, there. The, the opportunity that we have not to just be at the table, but be a leader. Like I tell this to my kids. I mean, th- this is this is the time and this is the place where we can solve the world's greatest problems. Like the, and, and you know, we need energy in our lives. It's what makes you know the quality of life that we enjoy possible. But we've got to decarbonize the energy ecosystem. And there is no better way to do that than by leveraging this infrastructure and combining it with the technologies and the energies of the future. And that's exactly what we're focused on doing. I find that so exciting because when I interviewed you for the book, one of the things you said that really changed my thinking was, hey, we're engineers. We love to solve the world's greatest problems. And um, 
as you just referenced, instead of being stuck in this political polarization battle around climate and energy and, you know, this fuel source or that fuel source, instead of we turn our attention as an industry to solving the world's greatest problems, that's exciting. And it transcends these divides that I think are are getting stuck and, and probably holding us as a society back. When people that we work with want to get started on decarbonization, one of the challenges they have is how to go about identifying what to invest in and how to invest in. And you all have been busy with your corporate venture capital program. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you hope to accomplish and even a little bit of your thinking behind that in a way that other companies who are newer in their investment journey can be thinking about how do we go about making these decisions and what are appropriate goals and aspirations to set in this work? Yeah, no, great question and really important. And for us, it's been really important to find a very and establish a very clear compass, you know, have a very clear North Star, you know, what, what are you trying to accomplish? And how are you going to get there? And we very early on developed a roadmap built around four key principles. So when we think about investments, and we think about how to achieve the goals of decarbonization and and what we want to accomplish over the next 10, 20, you know, 30 years and beyond, four key principles that we've established. The first is the things that we pursue have to have an emissions reduction benefit. I mean, that's clearly the goal that we're establishing. We have very clear milestones that we want, we want to achieve. Second, you know, we are a company that needs to be able to deploy significant capital. So we've got to have, you know, investments that we think are going to have good economic return. Third, we believe it's important to play to our strengths. You know, I don't think we want to kid ourselves that we're going to be able to be a leader in every aspect of the value chain, but the things that we're good at, the infrastructure that we have, the geography that we touch, let's focus on playing to our strengths where we know we can contribute meaningfully to the solution. And the fourth is, I think, really important, especially for a company like ours. You mentioned, we move about a third of the nation's natural gas. We're a big company. We want to make an impact. The fourth is we've got to invest in things we think that can get to scale. We want things that are going to make a difference and and we think can actually be a significant part of the solution going forward. So I would say having that kind of, you know, that it may be different for others, but having a very clear compass and organizing framework so that there's a lot of cool things out there. There's a lot of things we could pursue. and, And man, there are some that I see that I'm like, God, that sounds cool. I wish we could. But we've really got to stick to what we know we have a likelihood of being able to contribute to in a meaningful way. That's so interesting, Chad, because one of the things I love that's happening in the industry is we're getting clearer about making these investments adjacent to our core capabilities, which means we can leverage our infrastructure, leverage our people, leverage our historic and emerging knowledge. I'm wondering, because you have been quite far along now with setting up and running a new energy ventures team, I imagine that you've learned a few things along the way. Maybe you would do some things differently. What could you tell our audience about what you learn and what you've learned so far? And maybe what advice would you give them on on how to get started? Yeah, sure. No, it's really been a couple of things that, that stand out in my mind. I mean, the first is, We've attracted new talent to the organization, which has been great and I think critical to bring you know, new perspectives, to bring just technical expertise outside of our traditional wheelhouse. 
But we've also been very successful at integrating that new talent and this new mission with talent across the organization, you know, talent that is eager for that next, as you, as you described, you know, the, the challenge to solve that next problem. And so, and I talk about this, you, you really need to do that. You bring in a group that could be viewed as new and different to your core business. That's, you have to be very careful about integrating that with the existing talent within the organization, the people that know how to navigate large companies or existing companies and can help new ideas, not kind of get lost in the bureaucracy or lost in the, the lack of kind of knowledge of how to navigate through the organization. So really coupling great external perspective with really strong and agile internal talent has been a key accelerator for us getting this up and going. I would say the other thing, and I talk about this a lot, you know, the mission for our new energy ventures team is not to create something different. It's not to build a different business unit. It's to build capabilities. It's to build business opportunities that become a part of our core business. And that paradigm is really important. You want to make sure that the organization feels ownership and a part of. And it's not just if I'm on the new energy ventures team, do I get to participate in these cool new opportunities. The new energy ventures team, their role is to bring those capabilities and opportunities to the rest of the organization. You know, even if you, you want to infect the organization with that talent, with that curiosity, with that opportunity, and then you want to figure out how to integrate that into the core business that we're trying to evolve. We're not trying to build a new business. We're trying to evolve our existing business. And that new energy ventures team is all about finding ways to inject that evolution into the core business. And so those two things about people and then about really the, the expectations and the cultural alignment of what you're trying to accomplish as a core part of your business, I think have been really important to help this be successful. There's a lot of key ideas in what you just said, Chad. And one of the ones that made it into the book, and I don't know if I gave you credit, so I'll give you credit here, was that idea of the navigator. It's really compelling to think about, you bring in these people from the outside, they could just get siloed, or they there could be the sense that like they're the chosen ones or or they're the, the outsiders. But this idea of pairing new talent, new skill sets, with people who can navigate the organization is so compelling. I really, I really love that. And especially when you think about this idea that Williams has been around for a hundred years and you're building the businesses of the next hundred years, uh, it's a really different way of thinking about new ventures. And I think it's quite interesting and effective and worth other other companies considering and how they set up their strategies. And you know what, Tisha, it's not unique to new energy ventures. I will tell you, like, I think we miss this often. There are so many good ideas inside companies that never get to the executive table or to the decision. And we, I think as a leadership team and as leaders in this industry have to keep looking for those navigators that can help bring the best ideas out of the organization and know how to get those moving through the company. I mean, that's one of my biggest fears. When I look out over our workforce, we have so much talent and you want to make sure you're not leaving any good idea behind. And I think it's, I think it's a lesson that we're learning that we need to apply to the entire business. Yeah. And it's particularly important because our, our millennial and Gen Z employees face a tremendous amount of external pressure 
to demonstrate why they're working in this industry. We have to create an environment where they can tell, I think, a very compelling story about how they're a part of accelerating building the future as as opposed to this external expectation that we're defending the energies of the past. And to that end, one of the things that you talked about that did make it into the book that I actually quote often when I work with our young professionals around is there's a lot of balls on the field. Pick one up and run with it. And that's hard because a lot of oil and gas companies are pretty hierarchical. And so I'm wondering if you could talk about what that looks like. What's your advice for our shout out to our young pipeline professionals? We love that organization (laughs) and our emerging leaders programs across industry. But what's your advice for emerging industry leaders? How do they engage What skills and characteristics do they need? How do they balance picking up the ball and running with it and not like running their way right out of their current jobs? What would you suggest that they look at here? Yeah, I think, first of all, I'd say like there is no better time to be joining the energy industry. Our company, we're truly excited about what we can do. And I think that there is no better opportunity to shine as a young professional in this industry because we need those new ideas. And it is what we talked about and you you wrote so well about in the book. I think better than I I described it, but there are so many balls sitting out on the field. I mean, any one of them, you know, can be picked up and run down. Are you going to get tackled? Are you going to, you know, (laughs) are you going to get to the end zone every time? Maybe not, but I will tell you, like, we are looking as leaders in this industry are looking for those that are, and frankly, the rest of the world is watching us to try to figure out in what companies and within which companies are people going to pick those balls up and run them down the field. I wake up every morning convinced that those that do are the ones that are going to flourish. Like we talked about, we've been here a hundred years. I want to make sure we're here for another hundred years. Those that pick the ball up and run with it. I think those are going to be the companies that really change the world over the next hundred years. That is my message is we need to constantly be looking for and allowing talent within our organization to take risks to, I think some of these large traditional industries, you worry about a fear of failure. We've been so process driven, safety driven, all those things that are important that we have to preserve. We have to make sure don't become anchors culturally holding us behind, you know, follow the procedure, follow the the rules. You know, we've got to be able to break through that, that culture that, that might potentially make it hard for someone to pick up a ball and run with it. And so that's why I think my encouragement to the talent within the organization, and frankly, if you find yourself in an organization that doesn't reward you for picking up the ball and running with it, you got to look for the opportunity to, to get somewhere where you can make that impact. And I do think that's what's that's what I'm seeing happen in our, frankly, in our industry. We're seeing this generational transformation and this evolution of not just technology and business and energy, but of talent. And so mm-hmm. I think the companies that embrace that young workforce and, and leaders that emerge out of that are going to be the ones that that transform and evolve this, you know, the energy economy. And so I think that's really, really exciting. Yes. And you make a good point. The eyes of the world are on us. I think whether it is investors or policymakers 
a public, I think people want a reason to say yes to the oil and gas industry. People want energy security. They want stable geopolitics. They want affordable, reliable sources of energy. They want their international air flights and their SUVs. If we continue to lead in decarbonizing, we can give all of these stakeholders a reason to say yes. And part of that is making sure that we're we're demonstrating this this promise of evolving and this promise of giving talent new exciting career opportunities. So I really enjoy thinking about our our industry's evolution in those terms. Let me ask you one final question, Chad. What do you see coming next for companies engaging in real decarbonization? What's around the corner that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, look, I think for us. Getting started was important. I think mapping the roadmap has been important. I think now we've got to demonstrate real decarbonization projects at scale. And I'm excited about what we're doing at Williams. You know, we've just uh, recently announced in, in 2022, we announced a wellhead to water project where we're expanding our, our production and gathering in the Haynesville. We're building infrastructure to connect it to LNG terminals in the Gulf Coast. We're including a very large scale carbon capture and sequestration project alongside that, that will not only capture the CO2 from the production that we're gathering, but allow us to go out into the Haynesville and re-inject CO2 that's being vented into our pipeline system, bring it down to a sequestration site. The initial goal is a minimum of 2 million tons per year of CO2. So we're talking about real decarbonization at scale tied to an existing large scale. I mean, we're gathering five BCF a day, 5% of the nation's natural gas production in, in the Haynesville, just in our Haynesville operations. And we're going to decarbonize that, that operation and deliver that natural gas to LNG terminals that can deliver it to our friends and allies around the world. I mean, the goal is let's put, you know, a net zero carbon cargo on the water, not 30 years from now. Let's figure out how we do that in the near term. So I'm really excited about translating a lot of what we've been percolating, a lot of what we've been testing, and translating those now into real at scale projects. You know, we've we we're in five different hydrogen hub applications. You know, seeing next year those become real project opportunities and start start demonstrating what we're what we're talking about. We're not just gonna talk the talk. We're going to walk the talk. We're going to show that the things that we can do as an industry are the solutions that we need as part of the energy economy of the future. So that's that's what I'm really excited about is, is, is I think we've got a lot of great ideas. We've shown a lot of opportunity. We're starting to put the puzzle pieces together. Now we've got to show that we can really scale it up. And so the next three, five, 10 years, I think are going to be really exciting. Oh, I think so too. And Having these reasons to allow international um, policymakers to say yes to, I think, the cleanest, most responsible molecule in the world is definitely something that I think we can all get excited about. Uh, Chad, I wish you and Williams just a extremely successful and fruitful 2023, and I hope you'll come back again at the end of the year and let us know how all of these adventures have played out for you. Thanks so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. No, thanks for having me, Tisha. And thank you for what you do every day to help move us to that energy economy of the future. I appreciate it. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Chad for joining me. 
What I really enjoyed was this idea at this time of this season of viruses. I really enjoyed this idea of infecting the organization in a good way. You can sort of visualize this idea of infecting the organization with new elements of innovation, of culture, of outside talent, of characteristics. I really enjoy the idea that real decarbonization is infiltrating culture in a very positive and inspiring way. I'd love to hear what you enjoyed today, so please take a moment and let me know. If you would rate and review this podcast, it helps others to find us. You can learn more about my book at realdecarbonization.com. And if you would like to know more about what we do at Adam and Teen Energy, please visit us at energythinks.com. My thanks to Don Rubio, who makes all things podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.